Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located on the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us to continue to bring the message of Jesus Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service.
In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church family. We're so glad you're here. Go ahead and shake a couple of hands, say hi to a few people, and find your seat. If you're tuning online with us, we'd love to welcome you to this morning's service. We'd love to hear where you're tuning in from as well as hear from you during the service. So whether you are on Facebook, on YouTube, or our website, please engage with us. It's awesome to see you. Now, if you consider yourself a guest or a visitor here, whether you're online or in person in the room, get your smartphones out and text the word fellowship to 94,000. As soon as you do that, you get in contact with our staff and you're able to get an invitation to our guest reception as well. Now, if you're in the room and you're a guest or visitor, stop by the info center. We love to hear your story, give you a little gift bag, as well as a specialty drink from our coffee shop. Now, a lot of us, maybe we're not guests or visitors, but we're willing to take our next step and what our faith journey looks like here at Fellowship. If that's the case, drop by the East End Pergola and hear from our Next Steps team. We can go over different opportunities, different things going on as far as what could be your next step in your relationship with Jesus and how it fits in our church here. We're going to continue the worship of our awesome God through the giving of tithes and offerings. And as I was thinking about tithes and offerings this morning, I was very quickly reminded of my entire camping trip with my family. Now, I know you, a lot of you have heard stories about my kids, but my son is three, my daughter is six, and this is our first camping trip as a family. And we were all in a tent together, just the four of us. No camper or anything like that. And there's a lot of different times in that camping trip where I felt like I was like, I need to be in control specifically of the weather. I was very concerned about rain, but the more and more we were camping, like the longer it went on, the more and more I realized I am not in control of how my son will react to a fish being in the boat or how my daughter will react to the cold in the morning. But the truth is, the, the more I let go of what that control was, the more fun I had. And as a family, the closer that we got. And the truth is the same in our finances. The less control that we we give our finances and the more control we give to God, the more he's able to bless us. And honestly, the more joy we're able to find in our life. Now, when it comes to giving here, there's a lot of different ways to give. And the Bible teaches us to give 10% of off the top of anything that we bring in. And that's a way that we can relinquish control to God and trust him to love us through provisions and to love us through those things. And so I encourage you that if you're in a need of a financial breakthrough today, or if you're just in need of loving God back in a different way, I encourage you to give in that manner because God wants to provide and he wants to give us a joy and a life that is life to the fullest. So if you're in financial need, I wanna pray over you. I wanna pray over our offerings today as well. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for everything you're doing. Thank you so much for your provision up to this point. I pray for everyone that's listening to this, God. If they're in financial need, I pray that you just bless them. You bless them with your provisions, with your love, with your presence. And Father, the offerings that are coming in, God, I pray that you can just receive them with joyous hearts, God. And, and Father, I just pray that you can give us your, your presence and your love uh, around these offerings, God, as a way that we can love you back. And so, Jesus, I pray for your provision and for your, your presence and your love over every single person here in this. Lord, we love you and we thank you in your heavenly name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of different things going on here at Fellowship Church, and we're excited to have a few new things coming around the corner. The first one is Rooted, and that's gonna start on September 18th, and we are so excited about Rooted. Rooted is a great way to jump into a group of people that are in the same age and stage of life, 
all the while going through a curriculum which will set you on a firm foundation, not only uh, of who God is and what the Bible is, but also how we as Christians can operate in society and in culture today. The cost of this course is $25. That gets you snacks and coffee uh, most of those mornings as well as your workbook materials. Again, that's going to be on September 18th and that is going to start at 9 a.m. So during the first service, we'll have that group and then everybody can attend second service afterward. If this is something that interests you. Go ahead and sign up on the Church Center app. It's live right now. If you want more information, drop by the Info Center. As we draw into the fall, there's a lot of new life groups that are starting up, and we're in need of new hosts for life groups. If hosting a life group could be your next step in your faith journey, and you're ready to take that leap, go ahead and apply. You can do that on the link on the home screen of the Church Center app. It'll say Life Group Leader Application. Once you apply, we'll be able to get in contact with you, and we'll be able to hear your story and see how hosting a life group here could be your next step in your faith journey. As always, if you want to stay updated with all of our announcements and things going on here at Fellowship, go to fellowshipgj.com events. Enjoy the rest of today's service.
were two men, and they were debating and discussing the Bible. And as they were going through it, the first guy says to the second guy, I don't think you know that much about the Bible. And the second guy kind of got offended, and he's like, yes, I do. And the first guy says, I'll bet you 20 bucks that you cannot even recite the Lord's Prayer. The guy said, I'll take that bet. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the first guy looks at him and he's like, oh man, and he hands him the 20 bucks. <laughs> the truth is that the prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer is the most famous prayer. It's been prayed millions of times. It's prayed at civic events and sporting events. It's prayed at political rallies, locker rooms, hospital rooms all around the world. It's such a quoted, most quoted, most famous prayer that there is. But people often recite it without thinking about it. They recite it like babbling on, like the hypocrites do, is how Jesus would phrase it in, in the Gospel of Matthew. They just repeat it without engaging their hearts or connecting with the text. But today, I want us to consider it in detail. As we're continuing in our prayer series and we're taking a look at, a deeper look at prayer, I want us to dig into what Jesus said is the way that we should pray. And so to find this, we turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. And let's just jump into what he's saying. Matthew 6, 8 says this. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, in this prayer, Jesus is summarizing the values and the principles of his entire Christian movement. And we can understand Jesus better by looking at this prayer. Jesus is basically saying these are the main things that each of us should pray daily. And the whole prayer came about in answer to the disciples' question. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so... They had seen Jesus. I believe they'd seen him do miracles. They'd seen him raise people from the dead. They'd seen him heal blind eyes. They'd seen him open deaf ears. They'd seen him multiply loaves and fish and all kinds of miracle things. And they thought, we know this guy goes away to solitary places to pray. And they thought, whatever he's doing is working, so we need to find out what is it that Jesus is actually praying. So what's your secret? Because it works. And so this is how Jesus comes to teach us these things. Verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Jesus is telling us that God knows everything. Omniscient is the dollar coin Bible word there. He's omniscient. He knows all things. So why do we need to tell him what we need? Why, do, why pray at all? Why can't God just hear our thoughts and kind of know what's going on in our lives? And why do we have to pray? Well, I believe that God already knows what we need to talk about. He just wants to know, do we want to talk about it with him? Because God knows everything. It doesn't mean he's going to automatically move. It doesn't mean he's automatically going to act on that thing that he knows. Many things he waits for us as his kids to say, hey, I'm in need, and us to bring it up and pray about it. Do you want me, he's asking, or do you just want your need met? Do you want community and connection with me, or do you just want what I can give you? And prayer answers that. 
When we pray, we're saying, hey, I want you, God. I want to connect with you. I want to get to know you better. And prayer is that I am wanting you in the middle of the situation that you already know is going on, but now I've invited you to be a part of it. So continuing in Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus is talking and he says this, this is how you should pray. And I've been to Bible college. I graduated summa cum laude with honors from Bible college. And so I think I am uniquely qualified to just really interpret what verse 9 is actually saying. And if you dig into the original languages here and really get down to the nitty gritty, what verse 9 is saying is, Jesus means, I think, is this is how you should pray. That's it. This is how you should pray. Jesus is trying to give us a pattern, a structure, a skeleton, an outline, if you will, of how we should communicate, how we should talk with them. Now, does it mean we have to memorize it and recite it? No. Is it wrong if we do? No. But I think he's giving us an outline, somewhere to start. Because if we're honest, a lot of times our prayers sound like this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help me, help me, help me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And while that's fine, we can say those things and our prayers can be basic little quick things just like that. I think that at some point throughout the day, it's good if we go a little deeper in our communication with God. If we actually really think about the things that we're talking to him about. So verse 9, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. First thing we have to recognize is who is it that we're actually talking to? He's our Father in heaven. And once we recognize he's our Father, then that kind of answers who are we to him. He's our Father. We are his treasured children. He's our Father in heaven, not some distant absentee landlord to the planet. He's our Father. He's our God. He has the power to help us. So when we start our prayer, we think about who is it that we're really praying to and what is our position to him? He's our Father. We are his treasured children. Then the prayer continues. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now God's name be hallowed. That's not a phrase we really use that much anywhere else, but hallowed comes from the root word of Hallowed, the same as Halloween, right? All Hallows Eve. It has to do with the concept of holiness or literally to be set apart. So when we're praying this, we're saying, God, let your name be set apart. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, we had some dishes that were set apart. In the kitchen, we had the everyday dishes. You could use them for anything. There were plastic plates. They, some of them had like melted plastic with remnants of the microwave. There were cups. There were a few glass dishes, but there were four kids in our family, and so most of those were chipped. And if you ran in from playing outside on a hot summer day, you could get yourself a plastic cup, you could fill it with Kool-Aid, and you could run outside and you could leave it in the grass, and no one cared because those were the regular, everyday, normal dishes. But there were some dishes that were sacred, some dishes that were holy, and those dishes you would not touch. Those dishes weren't even kept in the kitchen. They were kept in a whole nother room, in a cabinet behind glass. And those were the family china. You didn't touch those. You didn't think about touching those dishes. Those were for sacred, holy occasions like Christmas and Easter and grandma's 50th wedding anniversary. But otherwise, you didn't go near those dishes because those dishes were special. They were set apart. And so when Jesus is saying God's name is set apart, what he's saying is it's not the same as every other name. 
The name of Jesus is not the same as the name of Dan or the name of Tim. The name of Jesus is elevated, it's special. It's the most sacred name that there is. And it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he alone is God. It's the name that we call on to be saved. It's the name that we offer all of our prayers in. So when we pray, we stop and we recognize who are we praying to? Our Father in heaven, hallowed, sacred, set apart, be your name. And God's name is holy. And throughout our day, we're going to encounter people that want to trash God's name, that want to diminish God's name. We're going to go through situations and circumstances where people want to drag God right through the mud. So it's good to kind of center our thinking and recognize that he is holy and his name is sacred. The next line, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the truth. God's will is not being done on earth. Humanity is broken. The earth is actually broken. And that's why Jesus said he wants us to pray that heaven would invade earth. The goal is to bring heaven to earth to get the hell out of earth. That's what's kind of being accomplished in this part of the prayer. And so people ask all the time, especially pastors, they say, why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there heartbreak? Why is there divorce? Why, why is there betrayal? Why are these things on this planet? And the answer would take an entire sermon series to give you. But the basis of this answer is found right in this prayer. When we say, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that gives us the idea that God's will is not being done on earth. It's, it's not God's will that there's this level of brokenness and hurt and trauma and disease. That's not God's will. And so why is God's will not being done on earth? Because the enemy's will is being done on earth. Because humanity's selfish will is being done on the earth and all those wills are conflicting as opposed to God's will and so Jesus says this is so like the planet is pretty messed up guys so something we make part of our daily prayer is we say wait let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so that every day we're inviting God and heaven to collide a little bit more with earth and take over a little bit more of what's going on now Jesus, in this prayer, gives us three requests, three things that we can and that we should pray to the Father for every single time we pray. And at, at first glance, I gotta be honest, these requests seem a little bit odd to me. But Jesus is brilliant, so we're gonna go with the fact that he probably knows what he's talking about. But the first thing he tells us to pray for is bread. Bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now, when he was standing on the hillside in Galilee, and he was speaking to first century Jews who were incredibly poor for the most part, that probably worried about where was their next meal going to come from, then, then that maybe made sense to them at the surface level. But most of us are not super concerned about what we're going to eat for lunch. We might be daydreaming about it right now, but we're not tending to be panicked about it. So when Jesus said, give us today our daily bread, every original listener on the hillside in Galilee, their, their antennas kind of popped up, and they thought to themselves, I know what he's referencing. He's referencing an Old Testament story, an Old Testament story where the children gathered the manna every day. God's kids went out and picked up the manna. 
they automatically remembered that story from Exodus where they, the people of God had been delivered from slavery, but they weren't in the promised land yet. Instead, they were in this in-between place called the wilderness, and they were wandering, and they were exhausted, and there was literally no food. And so then God, by a miracle, literally began to rain down bread from heaven called manna every day, and they'd go out for that day, and they gather as much as they would need for their family for that day. And if they kept it overnight, it would rot, and then they'd have to go back out and gather it again. And so when Jesus said the first time in Matthew 6, he said, hey, give us this day our daily bread, ding, every Jewish person went, Old Testament, manna gathering, daily bread, I get it. I understand what Jesus is wanting me to think about. So when Jesus tells us to pray for bread, is he talking about literally praying for bread? Yes, because I think he wants us to recognize that the things that we have didn't just come because we're so smart and capable and hard workers, but they came also from the hand of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light. So he wants us to acknowledge the source of the bread and every basic thing we have is from God. God gave us the bread. He wants us to recognize that. But he's also saying something more deep and more symbolic. He's saying, be aware that you need to feed your soul daily bread. Matthew 4 says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus is talking about physical bread, but he's also talking about spiritual bread. He's saying, hey, make an effort to make sure that you're not just feeding your body, but that you're feeding your soul that you're feeding your spirit, that you're spending every time, in, every day at some time in the word of God, in prayer, in talking to your heavenly father so that your body and your soul are being nourished together. And that's the first thing he says for us that we ask for in the prayer is we ask for our daily bread. And then the second thing we ask for is for forgiveness. Forgiveness matters so much to Jesus that he tells us to pray for it and to give it away on a regular basis. And I think forgiveness matters so much to him because he paid such a high cost for it. For Jesus to offer us forgiveness, he had to go through the cross. And so because he paid so much for it by dying on the cross, he's very serious about us understanding forgiveness. I remember a conversation I had years ago, um, probably 15 years ago or more, with a man from our church family. His name is Rich Weimer. And he's been in our church family forever. And one day, it was the 4th of July weekend, and we were here at church, and he talked about the sound of American jets overhead and how he believed that the sound of American jets overhead is the sound of freedom heard around the world. And he was talking about that, and as he talked about it, he had tears in his eyes because he remembered the sound of jets overhead as a veteran when he was waiting for them to rescue him and his units. And so that freedom that Rich offers us, all of us as Americans, as a veteran, he offers that that cost him something. And because it cost him something, it's deeply meaningful to him to offer. It's important to him. And in the same way, Jesus, it cost him something to offer us forgiveness. It cost him the cross, and so because of that, he, it's important to him that you and I spend time really figuring out what does it mean to receive forgiveness, and what does it mean to give forgiveness? That's important to him. And so Jesus, what he sees, one of the things that he sees that's so wrong with our world today is that our culture is obsessed with 
with asserting our right to get even. We are obsessed with our right to retaliate for the wrongs that have been done to us as a society, humanity across the board. When some wrong is committed, we want justice for that offense. If some wrong is committed, many times the human heart wants to fix it by committing another wrong. And then that wrong needs to be fixed, and so someone commits yet another wrong, yet another wrong, yet another wrong, and it's this downward spiral of one wrong being given permission to commit another wrong. And part of what Jesus sees as broken in our world today, I think, is this retaliation that keeps coming. And so when he died on the cross, he said, enough, enough of getting even for the wrongs that have been committed. He took the weight of all the wrongs, the wrongs we as humans committed against God, and he took the weight of the wrongs we committed against each other, and he said, enough. And as he hung on the cross, literally being wronged, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And so Jesus paid the price of, of forgiveness. And so when we come to this point in the prayer that says, forgive us our debts, we pause and we say to ourselves, what debts do I owe to God? What are the wrongs? Are there any wrongs in my heart that I haven't asked for forgiveness for? Did I do something yesterday or already this morning to, to be rude, to be unkind, to lack love? Did, was, was I selfish? Did I lash out? Was I an outburst of anger? What? Is there anything that I need to ask for forgiveness of? And if there is, I pause when I'm praying this prayer. I don't just rush past it, but I pause and I say, Jesus, forgive me for, and I, I whip out my list. And then I let those things go, and I go on to the next line. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Then I stop and I think, is there someone that has sinned against me that I need to forgive at this point? Let's be honest. Forgiveness is complex. It's difficult and it's often misunderstood in our generation. Forgiveness is not brushing something under the rug and pretending it never happened to us. Forgiveness is not accepting the wrong behavior of someone else and just saying, oh, that's okay, and just ignoring it. Forgiveness is not minimizing what happened or rejecting it completely. Jesus' view of forgiveness in scripture is super clear. Forgiveness is fully naming it acknowledging it, recognizing the wrong that has happened, and being able to say, that was, what happened to me was horrible. It was wrong, it was awful, it was a sin. If there's a specific sin that it was, we name that sin. That's all a part of it. But then the next step for Christians is that we deliberately choose to let go of our right to get even for the person that did that to us. It does not mean there's no consequences for that person. It doesn't mean that we have to be best friends with that person. In fact, Jesus encourages appropriate and healthy boundaries for us proceeding forward to guard our hearts. But forgiveness is not the same as trust, and it's not the same as reconciliation. So reconciliation is trust is fully restored, and trust is rebuilt. Everything is rebuilt. And sometimes reconciliation is possible, but oftentimes we know it's, it's not possible. Because reconciliation requires two people. 
person who was wronged and the person who wronged them, to be mature enough to come together and have a conversation. The person who did the wronging has to say, I was wrong, this is what I did, please forgive me, there's a process, right? And then this person accepts their apology, if there's enough change, maybe creates some boundaries, and over time, things are restored. And that requires both people being mature enough to handle that process, and sometimes, oftentimes, that might not be possible. So Jesus doesn't mandate reconciliation, but he does mandate forgiveness. And he mandates forgiveness because forgiveness is only up to us as the believer. We're the only ones involved in the process, and we're involved in the process not with the person, but with our heavenly Father. That's why it's in the prayer, is we're not, it's not for them, it's for us and Jesus. And so we say, okay, I might not wanna be in the same room as this person in the future, I might think they're pretty screwed up, actually, but I relinquish my right to get even. I'm not getting even. They don't owe me. They are no longer my debtor anymore. I forgive their debt. They don't owe me anything anymore. I'm not going to retaliate in any way. And we begin a process where we can eventually wish them well in our hearts. Now, Jesus, in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, he throws out this concept for like the first time in human history that we're responsible for forgiving other people that have deeply and seriously wronged us. And he knows that this is such like a hard thing to swallow. This is such a gnarly truth that as soon as he ends the prayer officially, he comes right back to this teaching. Matthew 6, verse 14, it says, Jesus is talking, so he says, if you forgive those who have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Okay, thanks for clarifying, Jesus. That literally does not make it any easier. Apparently, Jesus thinks that it is so central to being a Christian that he says, if we refuse to forgive, it indicates that we haven't really understood the gospel. Forgiveness is so central to what it means for the cross of Christ, what it means that if we cannot forgive those who've wronged us, we haven't understood Jesus yet. And that's why he puts it in this prayer. It's that important. He doesn't say if you struggle to forgive. He doesn't say if it takes you time to forgive. But he does say if you refuse to forgive, then we have not fully understood the grace and forgiveness that we ourselves have received from God. Apparently, for Jesus, the number one sign that the grace of Jesus has sunk deep down into my heart is my ability to forgive those who've truly wronged me. And that concept is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. As a Christian, I receive forgiveness from God, and the more I receive it, the more able I am to give in like to those around me. And Jesus knows this is hard. He knows this is so hard to do that he puts it in the things that we should be talking to God about every day because it's gonna take time and it's gonna be a process. But every day we come to the verse, forgive us our debts as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. As we get to that point, we stop and we say, is there someone, we heart check, right? Is there someone that I have not forgiven? And if so, we say, I forgive blank. Put their name in the blank. For blank, name it, tattle all you want, tell, them what, tell the Lord what you're forgiving them for, and we begin that process. And over time, a supernatural transformation comes into our heart. It doesn't happen the first time, but over time, it comes to our heart where we're actually able to wish that person well. 
and I'll be honest, this is a very hard pill to swallow. As a Christ follower, I've struggled with this. About 13 years ago, I was betrayed deeply by a very close friend. And the betrayal was public, and it was absolutely, absolutely devastating. And I was rocked to my core. I was heartbroken. I was grieving. I was every bit angry as I was sad, and I did not know what to do with my hurt. And I'd lie in bed awake at night, and I'd stare at the ceiling, and I'd think through, if I just had one more chance to talk to this person, I'd tell them this, and this, and this, and if they, they should apologize for this, and this, and this, and I had my list, and as months went on, the whole thing just consumed me. And I realized I was becoming less Jesus-like as the days went on. And so I came into this room, actually, and I went over here, and it was the middle of the office week and not many people were around, and I laid right over here on the stage and I tattled. I said everything that that person had done and every single reason I felt that they owed me and what they owed me and why they owed it to me, and I went through and I left out nothing. And then the weight of it all I began to weep, and I don't know if my tears are still on the platform over there, but I wept, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And when I got done, I said, I forgive this person from the bottom of my heart. And within a short period of time after that, I was, I was able to recognize that I could wish them well, that I could say, okay, I hope they are happy. I hope this next season of their life is good for them and that they are happy. And I can honestly say that I feel like I became a better person through that arduous process of forgiveness. And Jesus knows it's not simple. That's why he said in the daily thing that we're doing with God, pray for the bread, but also pray for the forgiveness that you can receive it and give it because it's going to be a journey. Now, I've never seen that person that I wept about over there. I've, I've, I've never talked to them since. I saw them through a crowd one time. And I don't have to be friends with them, but I do have to let go and move on. All right, the prayer continues. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that third thing we're praying for is deliverance. Now, life is hard. Jesus warned us that life would be very hard and that we would have struggles and trials and tests in this life. But in this verse, Scripture actually gives us permission to pray that we don't have to go through quite so many trials and tests. So another translation of the same verse says, keep us from being tested instead of deliver us from temptation. Keep us from being tested, deliver us from the evil one. And so what Jesus himself on this planet went through tests, right? He was tested in the wilderness when he was fasting for 40 days and the devil came, he went through huge tests there, right? He went through other tests but, and there was a notable test again at the end of his life. And he was gathered in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew the cross was like coming in the next couple of days. He was wrestling with God and talking to him in prayer, and he was so, he, he began to sweat drops of blood. He was in such angst. And what was he praying? He was praying, Father, take this cup from me. <laughs> he was saying, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to go through this, what's coming these next few days. Get me out of this. But at the same time, he was praying, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so when we, when we come to this third thing that we're requesting from God, it's okay to say, don't let me have to go through that hard thing, Jesus. 
Please don't ever let me get cancer. Please don't ever let me have to encounter that level of betrayal again. Please don't, please let me go around, let me sidestep that test. And sometimes God will say, okay, you don't have to go through that one. And if there's a chance to not have to go through a big test, I'm going to ask for it. Now, sometimes, like Jesus, the prayer is prayed. Take this cup from me, Lord. And Jesus still went to the cross. God didn't answer that prayer in the exact way he wanted it answered. He still went to the cross. So there's this wrestling of like, hey, if I could get out of this, that'd be great. But if not, go through me with it and deliver me from the evil one. Let me prove faithful. If I do need to go through this trial, if this test is important for the development of my faith and the character of my life, blah, 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 if that matters, then help me to go through it with some grace and some faithfulness and deliver me from the evil one. Don't let him get after me. And at this point, when I'm praying this prayer in my personal life, that always like turns a light bulb on in my thinking and reminds me to then put on the full armor of God. Now that's a whole nother, that's from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter six, and it lists out the armor of God. But anytime I'm asking for deliverance, I wanna make sure that I'm armored up, if you will. And so at this point, I personally stop, and I remember the warfare armor in Ephesians six, and I do this, this is what it looks like. If you can see me doing it, I just go, I put on my head the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes fitted with the readiness of peace, take up the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith, and I always make my shield look like a sword. I don't know why. I do them opposite every single time, even though I know I, okay, who cares? So I got my armor on, and then I know I'm ready for the day. Now, do I personally pray this prayer every single day? No. But do I use it as a skeleton or a template to help me know how to communicate at a deeper, more full level with God? Absolutely. I grew up being afraid to pray. I grew up in a Catholic family, and we went to Mass and church all the time, and I was afraid I would pray it wrong, like that I would be talking to God, and I wouldn't say it right, and because of that, he would reject me or he'd reject my prayer. So my childhood through to adolescence, all I did was recite, memorize prayers that I was taught, and I would pray them exactly as they were written every single time. And I'd repeat them day after day, and they became mechanical for me and void of meaning. And that's not true for everyone, but that was true for me. They, they were so empty. And then as a teenager, I found Christ, and I understood him in his fullness, and not fullness, but a lot better than I did. And I realized that Jesus and God and the God, Heavenly Father was my actual father, and I could say anything I wanted to him. So I swung the pendulum from being raised as a Catholic and memorizing my prayers to like this way other side where I was like, I'm going to say whatever I want, whenever I want, which is good. Like, you don't have to censor yourself with the Lord. There's no right way to do it or wrong way to do it. But I swung the pendulum so I would never say anything that was scripted or memorized, even if it was found in scripture, to this other side where I would just like say things like, thank you, thank you, thank you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, help me, help me, help me. Like my prayers were just very random. And then as I've matured, I realized, wow, there's, there's a middle ground here that is really significant. I can, I can use this prayer as a template but I can add my own thinking and my own feelings and my own details to the prayer as I pray through it. So if you're just starting out in prayer and you're not sure, like, what does this look like? How do I begin communicating with God beyond help? What is, 
you could turn in your Bible to Matthew 6, you could pull out this prayer, you could choose to memorize it if you want. And then, as you get used to it, start adding things. So it doesn't just become memory, but it's our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Wait, what other characteristics of God could I stop here and praise? Hallowed be your name, holy is your name. You're also merciful, you're gracious, you're kind, you're good, you're faithful, you're loving. And I could just add to Hallowed all those characteristics that come to my heart and mind, things that I've seen in my life lately. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Then I could stop and I could go, wait, what are the things in my life right now where I need God's will to be done? Lord, let your will be done in my marriage. Let your will be done in my kids growing up. Let your will be done at, at my work. Let your will be done in my finances. Like all the different things I'm struggling with, I name them there. So let your will be done. Let and earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. So if you need bread, ask for it. But if you need help with other bills or resources that you need coming in, you can begin to list them. So it doesn't just become memorize this and recite it for 30 seconds and you're done for the day, but it becomes this process with which we can engage with God at any level. And if all you have time to do is pray it from the heart, but also from memory, that's okay. But just get that communication going with your Heavenly Father so you can feel confident that he's heard you. So I want us to try something a little different this morning. If you would, all stand to your feet. And we're going to put the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to put them up on the screen. And we, we've now really unpacked what it means. We've thought about the meaning of this prayer in detail. And so I want us to together, and I'm not going to say recite, and I'm not going to say read. I want us to pray it together. And we're not going to have a lot of time for pauses this morning, but just kind of go through it from the heart and engage your heart in what God is doing. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And God, we thank you, Jesus, for giving us a template for prayer. We thank you that we have access to you, Heavenly Father, that we are allowed to talk to you and you desire deeply to hear from us. Hear the prayers represented in this room this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we love you, church family. We'll see you next Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do so right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. 
If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer request by texting PRAYER SUPPORT to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text FELLOWSHIP to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.